to Gateway Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Gateway Church Doncaster in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information about Gateway Church, please visit our website, gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk. Thank you for listening. It's, uh, it's always encouraging when you're going to preach, when God turns up and starts to say the same things that you're going to say before you get there. And I, I do feel that's what's been happening a bit this morning. He's been talking to us during the morning about it being a new year and a new start about it being an important year for the church an adventurous year about going places that we might not want to go and about being strong and courageous now how many of you can remember what our church's vision is? I wouldn't really expect you to, because that's why we have cards printed, just so we can remind ourselves from time to time, because it is quite a bit. But the first two lines are to build a large town-wide church which is God-centred, Bible-based and spirit-filled. Now even if you forget the rest of our vision statement, which only goes to make our vision bigger, that's quite a tall order. We live in a town of 286,000 people. Yet there isn't a big, strong, vibrant Christian community. So to actually even make that statement is a bold statement. And it means we're going to have to go places we don't want to go, do things we don't want to do, and be strong and courageous. And whenever you're doing that in God's plans, it is going to be an adventurous year. When we look back over last year, we didn't achieve everything that we set out to do. But actually, if you take one of last year's prayer cards and look through it, you can begin to tick off one thing after another, either because it started to happen or because you can see it on the horizon. And I just find that a real encouragement. So this morning's talk has the title, Being a Small Church with a Large Vision. Because that's what we are. At the moment, we are small in number, but we have a huge vision because we believe we can have an impact in this town. Let's just start off. What are your earliest memories of church? The creed being recited in the Okay. Right. So the creed being recited. Yeah. Okay, so a grandma who was taking you through the Bible in the pew to keep you quiet. Yeah. 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 
Good. Excellent. So singing songs in Sunday school. I got some memories about church. And when I look back, some of the things I look back on, they're not all quite about church, but the memories tend to point towards church. You'll see what I mean in a minute. They weren't all positive. I can remember sitting in school assemblies. Yeah? I was sat in school assemblies with a thousand other boys between 13 and 18. And we were singing songs that most of them didn't want to sing, reciting prayers that most of them didn't want to pray. There were just hundreds there. And it didn't mean a thing. The highlight of most schools' assemblies was who was sick or who got marched out for making a fuss. (laughs) The second one was, I was in the boys' brigade. And uh, whilst I enjoyed boys' brigade, and, and actually I enjoyed church as I knew it at the time, there were things that didn't really make sense. And one of them was when you had a BB church parade. You'd do the parade bit of it, and then as you went in to church, being male, you had to tape your hat off. Now the girls brigade were allowed to keep their hats on, because women wear hats. Men don't in church. And I just remember thinking, why do we have to take our hats off for a God who looks at our hearts? And I heard the other day someone who got a text from someone who was going around St Paul's Cathedral and he said, you won't believe this, but I've just been asked to remove my hat by a man who's wearing a skirt. (laughs) But why? What was the point of that? And I can remember a time, not going back quite so far, when a fellow leader in the church resorted to threats to try to get me to agree with him. And you know, that did something to me. It said to me that I was never going to be influenced by him again. Because if he had to resort to threats to make me to agree with him, he had lost his spiritual authority. It's a bit like... <coughs> we read about Thomas Aquinas went to see the Pope and he got taken into the Vatican and it was all gold and everything everywhere. Big architecture, big statement. And the Pope said to him, Welcome! As you can see, we no longer have to say silver and gold have I none. And Thomas replied, No, but neither can we say in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And what he was getting at was in those trappings, the church of the day had lost its spiritual authority. And I know those things that I was just talking about, school assemblies, church parades, and the time when I came under threats, they maybe look back on the church and say, this isn't what God wants. This isn't what God wants. The church has to be something far more than this. It has to be something closer 
to what is revealed in scripture and that's one of the reasons that I am such an ardent restorationist at heart now I'm not mocking others there are a number of others I have a great deal of respect for I'm in regular contact with a number of the other church leaders in town and in their own way they're doing good work we use resources from other churches like the Alpha Course from Holy Trinity Brompton I'm not knocking what other people are doing at all but I do believe God is about raising up a whole new way of doing church one that accords to his plan right from the beginning of time God has only had one plan for the salvation of mankind and that is the church the church is plan A and there is no plan B his plan is so important that he won't let anything get in the way of it and if we personally try and hold up God's plan then what he'll do is he'll move his plan to go round us his plan is more important than any individual and because of that things that are built on hundreds of years of way of doing things things that are built on tradition are very vulnerable and they're liable to danger now sometimes tradition is helpful because it gives us the security we need to move forward with God but sometimes tradition is meaningless so what sort of church does God want particularly in the new year that he's taking us into if you have a Bible you might like to open it at 1 Samuel 17 verses 20 onwards 1 Samuel 17 20 onwards here we have the story of David and Goliath early in the morning David left the flock with a shepherd loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed he reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions shouting the war cry Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other David left his things with the keeper of supplies ran to the battle lines and greeted his brothers as he was talking to them Goliath the Philistine champion from Gath stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance and David heard it when the Israelites saw the man they all ran from him in great fear now the Israelites have been saying do you see how this man keeps coming out he comes out to defy Israel the king will give great wealth to the man who kills him he will also give him his daughter in marriage and he will exempt his father's family from taxes in Israel David asked the men standing near him what will be done for the man who kills the Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel 
Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? They repeated to him what they'd been saying and told him, this is what will be done for the man who kills him. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, Why have you come down here? And whom did you leave with those few sheep in the desert? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Now what have I done, said David? Can't I even speak? He then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter, and the men answered him as before. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. David said to Saul, Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a boy, and he has been a fighting man from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic, put on a coat of armour on him, and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around, because he wasn't used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off, and then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in a pouch of his shepherd's bag, with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield-bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David, He looked David over and he saw he was only a boy, ruddy and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, am I a dog that you would come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will hand you over to me, 
and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. Today I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saved. For the battle is the Lord's. And he will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword, drew it from the scabbard, and after he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. Then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath and to the gates of Ekron. Their dead were strewn amongst the Sharon road to Gathron and Ekron. When the Israelites returned from chasing the Philistines, they plundered their camp. Can you imagine it? There are these two massive armies. They're on opposite sides of the valley. They can see each other. It's not like modern warfare where you're hurling missiles 20 miles or more. They can see each other. They're shouting at each other. And then the Philistine's champion warrior comes out. Goliath. And Goliath is big. Naturally, Goliath is big. And you've got to remember, everything about Goliath is big. He's nine foot tall. How tall are you, David? So he's 50% taller than David. Stand up a moment, David. So David's going to be coming up somewhere between his elbow and his shoulder. Yeah, another three foot on top of David. He was big. Thank you, David. His armour was big. It would have come right down to his knees and his ankles. And to be honest, when you're nine foot tall, that's where you need your armour. Because if it's the likes of me at five foot eight coming against you, it's only your knees and ankles I'm going to be going for. And he says his javelin was made from a weaver's loom. He was too big for conventional weapons. I mean, in these days, intimidation was what won wars. The biggest and the strongest army won. 
and this was intimidation. And he was loud. He was shouting. They could hear him shouting his taunts. So what were the Israelites? Well, to be perfectly honest, they were scared witless. They were thinking, we are out of our league here. So Goliath takes advantage of that and he tries to dominate the battle. He says, this is how we're going to do this. He tries to impose his rules on the game. You send out one man, forget the armies, you send out one man and I will fight him. And the winner takes the lot. He was playing a game of brinkmanship of the highest order. And this was a watershed moment for Israel. And I think now is such a moment for the church. If the church of Jesus Christ does not re-establish itself in this generation, it will become totally marginalised and irrelevant. And we need to take hold of that. We need to take hold of what God is calling us to and trust him to elevate the church. Not just for us, but across the whole nation. So what do we see in David that will lead the church to victory? I think there are five things. Firstly, David was driven by a sense of destiny. Saul and his army didn't have that. They didn't want to fight. When Goliath was taunting them, nobody wanted to go out and fight him. No one volunteered. They were dismayed and terrified. I mean, to be fair though, Goliath was a bit like the equivalent of when the first tank appeared in World War I. It must have taken the troops in the trenches by utter amazement and the Israelites just wanted to run from Goliath. Saul was absolutely desperate and he couldn't think of anything to do. He didn't have the spiritual motivation to turn that situation around. So he started to use non-spiritual means to try and regain control. So what did he do? He offered material gain and marriage. You'll be rich, you can have my daughter, and your whole family will be exempt from taxes. They might be good motivators, but they're certainly not spiritual. And to David, this was a disgrace. It was firstly wrong that someone should intimidate the army of the living God, which is why he came out with, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? He was offended by Goliath's claims. Why? because he had a sense of destiny. He had an inner conviction that he was created to contribute to or cause something or achieve something significant for God. So he goes up to Saul and he says, I'll kill him. We need that sense 
of conviction. It's essential to us. Jesus said, I have called you that you would bear fruit. Fruit that will last. We need that conviction when we face giants. So that we can turn around and say, no, you're going down. Churchill was a man with a great sense of destiny. And just before the Battle of Britain, which historians often call our darkest hour, France was occupied, it was looking as though England could be invaded. And Churchill said, it seems that I am walking with destiny. And it was his conviction that kept the nation steady over the next year. He actually got a letter at one point from the Australian High Commission and they wrote to him saying, come on, it's time to negotiate with Hitler. And he just wrote in the margin, no, rot. Such was his sense of conviction. People came to him and said, we need to clear the art out of the museums. Perhaps we should send it to Canada. And he said, no, you can bury them in cellars, but nothing is to go, because we're going to beat them. Such was his sense of destiny. And we need to shape our lives around our sense of destiny, not around the giants. David got that sense of destiny when Samuel came to him and anointed him with oil. The power of the Lord came on him and was with him from that day forth. David was a man driven by a sense of destiny. He was also a man of action, not passivity. Now, the culture of this age, that's probably not the way things are. It's cool to be laid back. In fact, it's very cool to be very laid back. There's a story about a woman who uh, went to do her shopping and she got to the checkout to pay and she didn't have quite enough money with her. So she did that thing that only women can do. Men can't do it. Okay. I, believe me, they can't do it. She got a handbag and she tipped it out, hoping there was the little bit of loose change she needed in the bottom. And she was going through, putting the stuff back in her handbag, okay, and you know, there were a the couple of biscuits and the couple of used tissues and the lipstick and everything else. And in amongst it all, there was a TV remote control. Okay. And the checkout operator said to her, do you always take the TV remote control in your handbag? And she said, no but my husband wouldn't come and help me with the shopping, so I figured this was the most evil thing I could do to him. <laughs> okay. Saul's army had done absolutely nothing for 40 days before David arrived. They had had six weeks of absolute passivity. They didn't attack, 
They didn't retreat. David was the opposite. He'd only been there a few minutes and he was wanting to go and kill the guy. We need to be engaged and active. Saul was settling for being busy rather than active. There was plenty to do. There were thousands of troops to be fed and of course swords need cleaning, don't they? You don't want to have a dirty sword when you're going to get blood on it. So, you know, there was plenty to do. What he was ignoring was the one thing that needed doing. Killing Goliath. There's a business term. It's no one is talking about the elephant on the table. What it means is you're talking about all sorts of plans and strategies and actually ignoring the thing that is the problem and is staring you in the face. You're talking as though it's not there at all. What was the elephant Saul was ignoring? Goliath. David concentrated on the elephant. He went and killed Goliath. Goliath. 